Of the many actors I've interviewed and talked to personally, I would say that there are at least two main objectives for most of them. One falls under auditions and getting in the biggest rooms for the biggest roles. And the second one falls under agents, getting that representation that can get you into those bigger rooms. Well, today I'm talking with my very own on-camera agent, Brian Keith Graziani. He and I have been working together since late 2020 for a range of projects, from commercials and industrials to TV dramas and documentary series. Brian himself started out as an actor and singer and just sort of fell into casting, which then led to talent management and representation. Now, while he still loves performing, this new career path has allowed him to have an even greater impact on the careers and livelihoods of actors that he represents. And believe me, Brian has a lot to say. He's not one of those to hold back what he thinks at all, especially when it comes to auditioning and one of my least favorite parts of this business, self-tapes. Everyone with the excess videos that we're doing, they're just fatigued and they don't want to tape. It can be emotionally exhausting. And I feel like sometimes I want people to work more than they want to work. That's probably not the truth, but in a way it probably is. Welcome and thank you for joining me for another episode of Why I'll Never Make It, a recently award-winning theater podcast. That's right, the Academy of Interactive and Visual Arts recently recognized this podcast with a Communicator Award of Distinction. It was certainly a surprise and a thrill for me as I have never won an award before, whether for acting or podcasting. So I am immensely grateful. Now you can find out more about Why I'll Never Make It and this award of distinction by going to whyillnevermakeit.com. Well, Brian, it is so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me in my home. Thank you. Uh, the mansion, that is, uh, <laughs> Manhattan. Yes, yes. We're closed off in the little second bedroom office here. Now, now, you have represented me now for about a year and a half for TV, commercial, on-camera stuff. And as an agent, you send out every few months a little update, housekeeping, email. And it was one of those emails that you sent out just a few months ago that sparked my interest in wanting to bring you on the podcast. And in that, you talked about self-tapes and, and things that you're noticing about the business. And you talked specifically about the growth of self-tapes and how casting offices are relying more on them than ever before. And so what are some of the issues that prompted you to address how actors are, are putting self-tapes together? My passion in representing actors often lies uh, in developmental clientele. And if you don't know what that means, developmental clientele are clients coming out of school who are laying down the groundwork um, and are learning and are hungry to learn and want those first few jobs. There's nothing more fulfilling to me than taking somebody with uh, maybe zero to no, uh, zero to little credits and going, here's your first professional job and here's your foray into the industry and here's all the possibilities that you've been hoping and striving for and here are they in one tangible email uh, of success. So consequently, because I am dealing with young actors a lot of the time, I do end up dealing with a lot of people learning about the protocols and, and figuring out etiquette and figuring out etiquette in uh, their own happenings, let alone 
dealing with an agent. Everyone teaches these kids before they do their senior showcases and things like that. Here's how you get an agent. Nobody tells you what kind of agent you want. Nobody tells you, well, nor should they because it's subjective, but nobody tells you uh, how to communicate with your agent. No one tells you how to keep an agent. And so there are just like little life lessons and that transcends generations. I mean, I, I deal with people who are, you know, anywhere between like 25 to 65 who are like, this is how agents like communication. Um, and it's it's always a wild ride. But uh, I have been dealing more and more as self-tapes have become uh, the default means of auditioning for initial auditions. Just people who don't understand things that I would think would be common sense. A lot of basic communication. Hey, here's your audition. What would be your next step? Well, tell me if you're doing it. Tell me if you're not doing it. Tell me the who, what, when, whys, and wheres. And there often is a tight rope block of like what's too much communication. But for the most part, I'm having an issue lately where I think self-tapes take a lot more of physical time and physical energy, obviously. So but much time. Oh, my gosh. So much time. Yeah. In-person auditioning, I mean, tops, like when you think about it, it takes an hour and a half of your day. Uh, and, and, and most of that, 90% of it is just travel. Uh -huh. The audition yeah. itself is 5, 10, maybe yeah. 15 minutes. And you can let it go. And you can just let it go. Um, Self-tapes, you know, beyond the prep of it, can sometimes take me like three hours. You know what I mean? I'm the type of person when I was doing self-tapes that I would do a million takes. I want a variety of options that I can look through and go, well, here it is. It, when you're self-taping, there is a, a preconceived notion that it has to be perfect because you had nothing but unlimited time to perfect the take. Whereas in in-person auditioning, you're like, well, I flubbed the F, I don't know. I flubbed the F and um, that that is kind of the draw of theater. Theater in itself is the depiction of the human experience. Um, and, and so that mess up is a part of the audition. It's like, the, how did you handle right. it? How did you push through it? Right. Whereas like, I mean, it's funny, you'll watch a, a musical theater piece and you'll go, look at the lace on the wig. That's that's part of it all. And then you'll watch a movie where there's a little bit of lace and I'm like, you had post-production. What were you thinking? Right. And it's the same exact, gay, I'm gay. Um, the jig is up, everybody, I'm gay. But um, <laughs> it's a part of that translates into self-submitting too through video. It's like, you had all the resources and all, not all the time, but you had a, an abundance of time to perfect this. And it can be emotionally exhausting. Anyway, the point that I'm getting at is everyone with the excess videos that we're doing, they're just fatigued and they don't want to tape. And I'm really, I feel like sometimes I want people to work more than they want to work. I'm just hitting a lot of resistance. And in order to create universal guidelines about how to best set ourselves up for success, I send reminder emails that go, one, this is how I need things formatted. Send it to me this way. Send it to me prompt. I know I shouldn't have to ask, but here I am asking. So now you have no excuse to pretend like you were misinformed. But two, a lot of those emails end up being like, if you don't do the tape at all and you don't communicate at all, here's my expectation. Either you will be dropped or you will be penalized, whatever whatever it is. I'm not somebody's parent, but I do have a business relationship with somebody. I have a business relationship with you. I have an agreement with you. If you're not fulfilling your end of the agreement, unfortunately, you're you're voiding our, our you know, agreement. Yes. And um, I think sometimes young actors need to be reminded that you are in a business agreement with me. As an agent, I really pride myself on I'm a young agent who... Um, a lot of big core of my roster are people I have personally performed with. So 
Consequently, they are my friends. They are my peers. That transcends, that attitude and communication style transcends into most of my roster. So I think because people go, yes, because that is there, that I can take advantage of his flexibility. And so I just every once in a while need to do a little town hall meeting and as um, Brooke Wyndham once said, whip, get them whipped into shape. So when it comes to that, that relationship, there's certainly the relationship you're talking about between yourself and the actor. But what do you think is the biggest thing that actors need to know about your relationship with casting directors? I think, one, me specifically, that attitude about being a peer transcends to that medium as well. Because... Um, the, the nuts and bolts of it is what we do every day is we operate through a parent website of Actors Access called Breakdown Express. The way that you see breakdowns listed in Actors Access when you self-submit for jobs, we see them too, but we see more of them. Some of those jobs, let's, for example, just say Alphaba and Wicked, um, they release a breakdown to actors uh, and they release the breakdown to agents. Sometimes they don't release the breakdowns to actors because if actors were self-submitting for Alphaba and Wicked, they'd have 10,000 submissions. Yeah, so basically what I do is I take, I say, Patrick, connect your Actors Access account to the Hell's Kitchen Agency Breakdown Express account. And I take your profile when I see Alphaba and Wicked, because you are an Alphaba, let's be honest. Oh my gosh, I've been waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the option ups. And so uh, we take your profile and we go, hey, Wicked team, see Patrick. And they look at you know, the four or five people we submit and they go, we're going to see Patrick for Alphaba. And, um, you know, you get the tape request and all this fun stuff that comes with it from there. But sometimes a lot of what I do is I go, well, they didn't call him Patrick. So maybe I need to write a push and make sure that they really keep an eye out for Patrick. So I'll write an email and I'll go, um, here's Patrick's materials. Here's what he's done recently. He's really great. Here's his reel or whatever we may have to send that's applicable to the project. And uh, then maybe they'll call you in. Maybe they won't. Maybe they'll say why. Sometimes I have to hop on the phone. My point is, a lot of it comes into casting directors trusting our ability to assess talent. So when an actor doesn't do a self-tape or an actor is late to an audition or gives an ad to an audition. Especially if you pushed for them. Exactly. It's a direct reflection of my ability to assess talent. In that regard, it's very personal because it reflects on my ability to assess your value. And, and you know, we are a small business. I mean, for all intents and purposes, Travis started this office five years ago, but we're, we are actively rebranding ourselves as a theatrical office. And like I said, theater is theater industry in itself is inherently very unforgiving. So we have to make sure every single step we take uh, is going to push us in the right direction that we don't have to hustle to get you into every room. And that, you know, let's say Telsey, that we can just email them and go, remember when I was able to send you your last 10 bookings? Well, here's number 11. Trust me. Um, and that's been great. You know, that's, I can't pretend like it hasn't been, but there definitely is some resilience. Just like the seasons change, the people's attitude change and people get tired and people go through ways of like, feeling like they won't be successful or feeling like they really need to focus on their day job so they can make more money. I get that. But the struggle a lot of the time is how can I convey enough that you can just tell me and I can help you that way? Because then if you ignore the self-tape this time, they might not call you in next time. So you're not just doing me a disservice, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't communicate your expectations properly. 
And actually, that leads us into the first story that you wanted to talk about that you shared with me. And this was when you were employed by a casting director who told you, quote, either you can be funny or you can be professional. And you say that this implemented in you a sense of imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. in how you view the industry. Why was that? Well, um, I, I... I love social media. I actually, you know, I'm I'm a child of that first millennial generation that really found themselves online more often than not. That was like a big way that uh, the internet parented me. <laughs> Sometimes I joke and I learned a lot of life lessons from connecting with people online. And I found a lot of my voice um, and a lot of my humor by posting my little jokey jokes online. And so basically the story was I was freelancing with an office um, I won't say which, but I was very proud of the work that I was doing there. But my my uh, boss, who I had known for years, um, pulled me aside and said, you know, you, I saw what you posted online. I do think it's very funny. I do think it's very relatable. But your, your youthful expression, it's kind of the way he worded it, will hold you back. And you kind of need to choose, are you a comedian or are you a business professional? And at the time, I mean, like, obviously in my head, I was like, I'm a professional. And I'm, then in the back of my head, I said, fuck you. But, um, you know, I it's something that I carried with me. Um, I am very loud. Uh, and I don't, that doesn't necessarily always mean volume, but I am, I'm not afraid to express myself. I have been told by, I was told by a lot of people being standard gay bullying 101 to kind of quiet my voice and my expression and my um, thoughts on the world. And that has just never been my tea, has never really resonated with me um, the way that people wish it would have. So I have always just said why and and does my attitude about the industry and wanting to be a person first, will it uh, be detrimental to my success? And I spent a lot of years thinking... Maybe so, but I'll keep giving it a go. Um, and maybe I'll just find my right tribe at some point. And um, in a way, I think I have. But it took a lot of years of being like, I'm just going to have to roll with people rolling their eyes <laughs> occasionally. A lot of my identity comes from the expression that was supported online. So it's not something that I'll ever change about myself. But I... I don't know why it is, but I find that a lot of people in this industry, despite having similar takes as me, really find that to be a faux pas. They want to set a line between what is um, personal happenings and what is professional happenings. And what we're doing is inherently very personal. You can try to set that boundary, but at the end of the day, let's just laugh about it and let's move on because it's... Like I said, theater is the human experience. Now, I might be professional in theater rather than a performer actively right now, but why should that compromise my outlook and manner of expression accordingly? I'm not doing anything inappropriate. So um, I also take it very personally when clients don't do tapes or they're not on top of it the way that they should be beyond me like having stuck my neck out to get them in the room. I know that I have had to work 10 times harder as a professional to get the respect of my casting peers because, one, they don't always appreciate my humor and they think that I'm dumb for it. That's a a big thing on humor that I've learned. People think that 
expressing yourself in a humorous manner consistently is a lack of intellectualism and a lack of intellectualism is actually a, a sign of a uh, lack of intelligence. And I cannot find that to be further from the truth. Um, I also find that expressing myself with humor is the only fucking way to deal with coping with this crazy, crazy world. So I'm going to keep doing it. But anyway, my point is, is that I have found uh, not only have I gotten over that imposter syndrome in some regard, I found that it is a strength to make people feel humanized, to make people feel uh, comfortable. And when people are comfortable, they can express, again, their expectations consistently. I just, I know that I have to work 10 times harder to get the respect of my peers. But once they're on the same page as me, all is good. Um, but, you know, that's just why sometimes I'm a little harder on clients when they don't respect my efforts. Well, there's definitely that balance. And certainly as an agent with an actor, there's a sense that you want both sides to be pulling the same weight. Yeah. You know, I certainly have friends of mine who rely on their agents a lot. It's like they don't really push themselves. They just wait for the auditions to come in. I know that I tended to be the person who was basically acting like I didn't have an agent and was submitting myself for stuff and kind of then stepping on on the agent's toes because I was doing so much and not letting you do your job. So it is a matter of finding that balance. Well, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, at the end of the day, I got paid 10%, you got paid 90%. I should do 10% of the work. It does not always balance out that way and I'm not at fault. But I don't have a problem with it not balancing out that way as long as I see you putting in the effort. I have a client, and I sing her praises all the time, so I will say her name on here. Her name is Zuri Washington. Give her a follow. She has a podcast called Super Black. She is a superstar. And one of the reasons she's a superstar is because she can be booked, but she says yes to everything. She does everything in her power to get seen as much as possible. I have zero issues with clients self-submitting themselves on jobs. Uh, I was talking to Jason Styers recently, who is a wonderful casting director, and he said, he said, why do your clients uh, self-submit? Is it to be, and he used this phrase that I will steal forever, is it to be more uh, viewed more readily? And I said, yes, that is exactly it. Because I find that when we're both pulling our weight, it makes you retain their information. It, it's people thinking as far as they can see. If I see your name twice, it's just going to be twice as effective than seeing your name once through me. And it's just the name of the game. You know what I mean? You should trust me more than sometimes you trust an actor's self-submission. But ultimately, it's still another picture. It's still another name. So never feel bad about self-submitting. Always keep pulling that weight. You're never stepping on an agent's toes. You're stepping on an agent's toes if you email casting directly. Then it gets a little like wacky because it's like, why even have the agent? But in regards to self-submitting, do it, do it, do it. Now, now, in your career path, it's almost as if one has built upon the other. You know, you started out as an actor, which gave you a certain perspective as a casting director. And now that you're a talent agent, you represent actors to the casting director. So how have you found these transitions? Have they been easy or difficult as you've left behind one aspect for the business, for the other? I would say it got a lot easier when it stopped being so muddy. I wasn't really committing to doing one job because I don't think you should have to in certain capacities. Um, I'm not allowed to submit myself on jobs that 
you know, d professional happenings, things that are released on Actors Access, things that like would take me out of town. I can't be, my main source of income can't be being an actor. And I accept that those are the limitations of the industry right now, but I still would like to do a showcase every now and then. I would still like to do a community production in Brooklyn at the gallery players every now and then. I don't have a problem with that. But I found that I became a much better agent when I said, no, I'm just going to do this and this is going to be my number one focus. And the more I'm energy, all the energy I want to put into my own self-submissions, I'm going to put into my actors and encourage them and uplift them to feel like they are heard, um, not just by me, but casting and by these creative teams. It is a little bit of a, for all intents and purposes, a mind fuck every now and then. It's, it's a little bit like, what is the difference? You know, what are the difference in these positions? Why is it now? This was a big issue at Jamie's office for me mentally. It was like, why is it now that if age, actor Brian followed up to a self-submission with a, hey, just following up, I would love to know if I'm considered, I'm viewed as too eager and I get criticized for it. And if I follow up and go, hey, following up on Patrick's submission, thought it was really good. They're like, you were so proactive. I'm like, I know, right? But like, it's it's such like a weird standard and a weird um, etiquette. And, you know, it's our human instinct to compartmentalize. It's Is it also that the casting directors and producers, that they want that wall of separation oh, between it, them and the actor? Oh, they live for it. They live for the wall. Uh, and that's... Okay, because here's the thing, when it, it is really prominent in TV film. T TV, when you think about it, these co-stars that people are doing, two-line co-stars that are, can I get you some fries with that? That's what Jamie would call it. Can I get you some fries with that roles? If you think about it, on paper, what those roles require, anybody could do it. Anybody could do it. Not everybody has the look, whatever. Uh, not everybody is able to value their own contributions to your project accurately. So like, if they open those up to the masses with no walls, again, just like the Alphabet and Wicked um, starring Patrick Jones, you um, you would have 10,000 submissions for every role, and that would make the casting director's job 10 times harder. So I do understand to some extent that wall, but I feel like we are on the, the, the pendulum has to swing and balance out in some regard, because right now... We're just, the way that the uh, union functions, that the EPAs function, that the required video calls function, we're all throwing uh, coins down a void, unless you are acting through an agent. Now, that's the advantage to working with me is, you know, when you're called in through me, it's because they're actively wanting to see you. And that validates like, okay, this isn't just some EPA submission when I don't know which tracks they're looking for. I don't understand Let's say um, the required call for going back to Wicked, required call for Wicked comes out and every single role is listed when they're really just looking maybe for a Glinda standby. Uh, this is one of, my, one of my biggest issues with equity is that they, I've asked them because I'm in certain committees, I've asked them to crack down on that, to be like, just list the roles that are really for us. Because, and not even Wicked, but then you go to community, regional theater, and only four of those 10 roles are going to be equity. The rest are going to be filled non-equity. And so please designate that. Don't have me audition for this supporting role if I can't get it. No, I I don't understand why they're not more transparent with it. Um, I feel terrible for actors that aren't represented right now because you really are just going like you're, you're trying to do a three-point shot and you don't know where it's going to land in the basketball court. Good for me. This is my only basketball reference of the episode. Nice sports analogy. Please nice. Enjoy. Um, but no, it, it's hard and you don't know where it's coming from. That's why I feel like my job is way more important now than ever. I really have to make sure that people feel seen and heard. 
So that actually gets me to a question about, do you think every actor needs to have an agent? No. Well, I think ultimately people will be more successful with an agent just because of the way the hierarchy of the industry functions. Because an agent can ask for things that an actor would be viewed as difficult for asking. In the same way that I advocate for following up for somebody's self-tape or whatever it is, and I'm praised for it, an actor would be dragged for it. Same thing happens for negotiations, asking for more money. Asking for money is a really weird thing. It's a really weird thing because like you're just, honestly, sometimes I want to write like, just give them 50 bucks more because like because you know I'm going to ask for it. You know what I mean? And I can hide behind the guise of like to maintain quality of living or to cover my commission expenses, whatever it may be. An actor doing that for some reason, and more mostly with smaller houses where the producers are kind of skeezy to begin with, but they're viewed as difficult and and people there's a stigma against it to the point that people are even scared for me to ask sometimes for more whether it be money or a single room or travel or accommodations whatever it is anyway to answer your question yes and no i think a lot of people pursue rep because they don't know the next step in pursuing this industry uh, I think they think that is what they need in order to be successful. And success takes a lot of different forms. And your first step, let's say um, your career is a staircase. And at the top of the staircase is your perfect idea of success. You're winning an Oscar or Tony or whoever you are. I think people want to jump to step five. And if you did jump to step five successfully, if you, let's say you submitted to an agent and they randomly started to rep you, do you think you're able to go to step six without having to done the other steps first? Probably not. Maybe. I mean, listen, uh, look at Sierra Renee. I mean, she she went to Baldwin Wallace and she graduated and she immediately went into Big Fish and she's she's killing the game. But those cases are far and few between. You will be happier as an actor who's just graduating college, doing some regional jobs that you booked on your own. I think the best thing I ever did with my time, uh, and the worst thing I've ever done with my time, is I worked at the Barn Theater in Michigan, Augusta, Michigan, the prestigious house. Um, it it was one of those stocks where I worked 12 hours a day, seven days a week for four months with four days off, solid 150 a week, made my 15 EMC points. It was, <laughs> I mean, the labor laws broken were crazy, but I learned about every aspect of the industry I could possibly do. I don't think people should have to pay their dues in that way anymore. I think it's antiquated and I think it's a little exploitive of young artists' desire to work. But I do think that that was my step two. For my step three, before my step four, I did a couple more stocks where I was a non-ec member and I wasn't, you know, I had to learn about the people who knew more about the industry than me and they were paid more than me and they should be because it was consumer it with their experience. So I think a lot of people, I get submissions from people who I'm like, you're not even done high school. Why do you want an agent? That being said, I think that a lot of people would benefit from having any agent rather than no agent. Um, unfortunately, just because of those walls, like we said, are in the industry. So then secondly, on top of that, what should actors expect agents to do for them and more importantly, not to do for them? I say my job changes on a daily basis. Uh, sometimes I am here for job acquisition. I'm here to do all the regular agent things. I'm here to assess your um, 
your digital materials. I consider myself a marketing manager in some regard because basically what you're doing is you are asking me to sell a car. The more details on the car you give me, is it have four-wheel drive? Does it have rims? Tell me the year, the make, the model, the uh, production company, whatever it is. The more details you give me to help sell that car, the more tools you put in your toolbox, whether that be digital materials, reels, websites, photos, um, those kitschy professional shots of you in a doctor outfit, which actually is very helpful for on-camera work, the more tools you give me, the more effectively I can market you. So that's one aspect of my job. Then there's actress therapist, Brian. Um, I find that I'm Every agent's different. I'm a little more hands-on. I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty and like tell you it's all going to be okay and stroke your hair every now and then or talk about how shitty the audition was, whatever it needs to be to make you feel, all right, I can move on from whatever or I can be excited or be rejuvenated. And then sometimes, and this is more specifically probably now, and we talked about this earlier, I end up being um, a human rights lawyer. There are no federal laws on uh, COVID workplace policy. Um, this is unfounded. And I totally get that that wouldn't be able to catch up as quickly as we'd like, but um, every producer has their own way of handling COVID or not handling COVID, unfortunately. And I have to make sure that people uh, are safe and healthy. So um, there's been a lot of difficult conversations I've had to have with producers where I have to think about my business's best interest and make sure that like I'm not having such a polarizing, aggressive um, expression of opinion on how they should handle a situation that I don't get make sure that clients get rehired at this space again. So it is a tightrope walk, but needless to say, all of that combined that's the way I function. Every agent um, interacts with their clients differently. I want people to make sure every part of their needs um, as a professional are fulfilled as fulfilled as possible. Beyond that, um, I do think people have an instinct. I think this is a human instinct to want to make themselves feel heard a little too much. Sometimes people just like want to hear themselves talk. And I think you have to know with every interaction you have with your agent that the time you're interacting with them is time taking away that they could be marketing you more efficiently. And sometimes you expressing yourself is more important than your agent pushing you. There are times like that, and that's okay. Because then they'll be able to push you more effectively if, if you if you have a productive conversation. I think some agencies are a little too on the other side where they're like, I don't want to have any talks with you because I feel like that's taking away from precious, precious time. And I'm like... I don't need that much time, but like, you know what I mean? It's one email, but it's, it's, I find that I just want people to feel heard. And I feel like sometimes uh, that manifests in ways that people take advantage of my time. I don't really have a end of work day. I think you and I have had conversations at like 11 PM. That's probably because I call you too. So that's just me. But, well, well, also you get late night things. Yeah. yeah. So and happens. I don't have a problem with that, but I do have a little problem sometimes where uh, people think, okay, well, this is the precedent set on communication style. So people call me at 7 a.m. And I'm like, is it life or death? No. All right. It can wait. It can wait. So there's some of that and there's some of um, expecting me to solve all of your problems. But every day is a new journey. And when it comes to journeys, Brian seems to find himself a new one every few years or so, whether it's as an actor, casting director, or talent agent. And with such varying perspectives, as you've heard, Brian has a lot to offer. So this week you get not one, but two bonus episodes. 
In one, Brian shares his insights on acting scenes and auditions, and the other is an audition story you don't want to miss. Now, bonus episodes like these are only available to monthly supporters of Why I'll Never Make It. So if you'd like to help support this podcast while also getting access to bonus episodes like these, well then consider a monthly subscription for just $5 or $10 by going to whyillnevermakeit.com or just click on the link in the show notes. For story number two, you had a college professor that told your advanced acting class, which was the last class that you were taking before entering the professional world. Mm -hmm. This professor said that actors don't need headshots and, quote, a good Polaroid would do. (laughs) Now, now to me, this just sounds kind of crazy and unaware of the realities of what is really expected when we go auditioning. But for you, this moment was something deeper. Yeah, I you know, I went to school in a small state school called Rowan University. It's right outside of Philly. This professor in an advanced acting class, the last class we were doing, we didn't have an industry class, which I think a lot of college programs are really lacking severely. And uh, one day somebody finally said, I need to know how to pursue this industry. He he just said wild thing. Well, one, he was like commenting on commercial music, musical theater, which I think is uh, such a cheap shot and such like a... a Uh, phoned an answer for somebody who's too lazy to actually look at the art form as a full picture. But uh, he was like, well, we're not the walnuts of the world. So like, we don't need it to be so clean and precise. And I think the truth about the industry and expression in itself probably lives somewhere in between the two extreme views. But he was just like, yeah, I mean, look at your headshot. You don't even need to have a nice headshot. You can just have like a good, Polaroid. And I was like, <laughs> hey, quick question. Um, do you mean like you don't need to have like a really professional photo? And he's like, no, 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 no. Like you can just have like, like go take it in front of that brick wall and just like get like a Polaroid out. And I was like, right, right, right. Do you mean in like Philly or like the full picture? And he was like, no, no, no. Like in general, like I have professionals in New York who feel that way. I was like, I didn't say it, but I was like, I want to see the receipts. I would like to know. (laughs) Give me their emails. Uh, I would like to have a conversation with them. And it was a really eye-opening idea to one that I think a lot of academia and theater is a scam. I do. I think think college in America, a lot of it's too much to capitalize off of people's need and, and desire to better themselves, which I think is inherently problematic. But at least you can say in a lot of programs in the world, a lot of professional programs, not talking about theater, that people are qualified. They have to meet a certain standard in order to be teaching. And I think theater's uh, perception of success is entirely subjective, as we've said, Um, especially in a community like that, that is a little more like the art form is subjective and what it takes to produce it doesn't require a mass amount of training. And uh, it was really eye-opening to me that like people put you into these circumstances as a young artist where you are susceptible to their view on the, the industry. These teachers have these willing, moldable brains that like just want to succeed. And they look at the professors as the perception of success because they don't have anybody else to compare it to except, you know, famous celebrities. And uh, I think a lot of professors really get off on that. And I don't mean get off on that in a perverse way, but I just think like a lot of people 
I worked with as a student uh, were filling an artistic void through teaching and through their artistic endeavors through teaching because of main stage shows. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's that old cliche, those who don't teach, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, which can be said. Yeah, it can be. And and there are exceptions to this, obviously. I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to make a, a broad generalization about people who are teachers in these college theater programs because obviously some of them are amazing, uh, top 10 programs in the country, you know, all that stuff. But it was really eye-opening to me, the idea that like, this person doesn't know more about this than me, and I should take their opinion with a grain of salt. And if that's the person, one, if that's the person I'm paying to teach me about the industry, then why am I paying? So that was a big lesson for me. Um, but two, it was about that's a person who a lot of people view as successful, and he doesn't know what he's talking about. So maybe I should be taking every person's opinion with a grain of salt and assessing and evaluating their worth. Maybe I shouldn't take anybody's opinion um, as, as word of God. And that has really shaped my viewpoint a lot of the industry. I challenge in my head, not actively, sometimes I don't verbalize it to other people, but I challenge things mentally before I accept them as truth. Well, I, th I think that that's a foundation, I think, of any good actor. And I mean, aside from just the business side of it, but then as artists, I think you, you have to question what the character's doing, question what the story is, question why this was... I mean, so so the same fervor, the same skepticism that we approach a character and investigating it, we need to put to our yeah. business side as well. Yeah, and I think that that's something that is lacking because... I don't know if colleges actively make a point not to educate people in the industry. I don't know why that is. I don't know where that stems from, but it is a common complaint in most industries. For me, I, I just find that they stifle it. And I wonder why that is. You know what I mean? You, you are only going to... People think as far as they can see. People didn't know our agency was successful until I created an Instagram. And people saw the bookings. Follow us on Instagram at Hell's Kitchen Agency. It's the same thing for college programs. If you want to build a following, you want to get people involved, you want to get people excited about your work that you're doing, you have to kind of have people working in some capacity. So by bridging that gap into the professional world, by bringing in the industry of the industry classes and master classes and workshops with casting directors and agents and all that shit, you are making it so that your students will be successful and that renowned acclaim, whatever it is, will transcend through more interested students. And you're going to build more and more success, not just for your students, but for yourself. And why that's lacking as like a, a reigning theme and 90% of college programs, 99, let's say 99 of college programs is, is weird to me, but it's made it so that one of my goals is to teach college musical theater someday. Well, getting into story number three, you talk about booking the biggest job of your career, mm -hmm. and it was because you checked audition update one morning. Now, I've, I've been around a long time, and I had to question, what is audition update? Is this some other thing I don't know about? Patrick Jones, you are living <laughs> in another life. You are living on Mars. Um, no, you're not. Audition Update is an actor's forum created by Tom Lapke, who created Actors Launchpad and Real Arc. We love Tom Lapke. Basically, it was a thing back in the day. Do you remember a website called Non-Equity Deputy? Oh, Patrick, I just I feel like I'm giving, I'm, teach, I know. You're, I'm you're educating the children today. Uh, but um, a Non-Equity Deputy is an old website. I want to say it died in like 2011, where basically we'd have a list of theaters 
and you can give reviews. Because, like, let's say you're working at uh, Joe Schmo's Playhouse. You don't know how they treat actors, especially when you're young. You don't know what's going on. You're like, let me make sure that, like, I'm not going to... So it's a Yelp for theater. Yes. And so... What what you had to take with a grain of salt with it and with Audition Update was when you have anonymity, people can just kind of vent their grievances that aren't always necessarily justified, but you take that aspect of it with a grain of salt. So when that website died, because I guess somebody didn't renew it, Tom created Audition Update, which started just as like, hey, is anybody at the Greece EPA? What What's the line like? Is it crazy yet? It's like 7 a.m. It's like, you know, is are non-equity going to get seen? What did the monitor say? Did they get sent home? Now, and I they, am part of a Facebook group that does the same thing. Well, so. guess who they were inspired by? Um, <laughs> right. But then they created a sub page with that called Callback Corner, where people would be like, I went in for cats. Did anybody get a callback for Rumble Teaser? People would go, yeah, girl, I was called back. And uh, then you find out somebody got the job. And then you weren't just sitting around by the phone. It gets really toxic, obviously, because you're like, you're just checking the whole day. And you're like, did I get it? Did I? You can't just let it go. Which our desire as human beings is to re- reclaim some control of our life. So like- Well, and also finality, closure. Like just to, just like our relationship, I had a relationship with them for 10 minutes. I need to know, did it work out? Yeah, yeah, very that. So audition update one day in 2013, uh, I woke up one morning and I was like, what's going on today? What are the calls I'm not going to? And someone was like, there's a Bush Gardens Christmas call. And the guy I was dating at the time was going on the Elf tour. So we needed to get a sublet for our apartment. And I was like, I need to get a Christmas gig. I need to figure this out. And they were like, there's a little Bush Gardens, Virginia Christmas moment. Did you ever do the Bush? I've I've gone to Bush Gardens. Love Just it. Great part. Cute little Christmas contract. Um, but um, I went and then I, I saw that there was like an unofficial. And they were like, nobody's here. Come on down. And I was like, all right. And so I went down. I went in. I booked it. I did um, Gloria 2013. Gloria is a pop blues jazz version of the nativity scene, which is wild. And then they kept in contact with me and kept trying to offer me jobs. And then they offered me this brand new show, Originating Cast. And we were going to get a CD, which was like, I was like, okay, whatever. And uh, the pay was amazing. And I was like, sure, for a two-month Christmas contract, I'll come down and do your new show. And I worked with this fabulous director by the name of Lauren Van Brink. It is very hard to find somebody who jives with my humor sometimes, at least from a directorial standpoint, because Lauren didn't take himself too seriously. And he he enjoyed my jokey jokes. And so uh, he, I went and did that contract with him. It was a gay old time. And some of my best friends came from that contract. And then... Uh, I get a call from Lauren one day, like a couple months after the contract ends, and he goes, "Hey, my Bobby C and Saturday Night Fever just dropped out. Do you want to do you want to play Bobby C and Saturday Night Fever on Royal Caribbean?" And I was like, "Yes, I would like to make production contract money to work approximately fifteen hours a week. I would enjoy that immensely." And uh, that gave me employment for a year. They've offered me jobs since timing doesn't work out but now they're fans of agent brian so they bring in my clients all the time again without me having to like hustle too much they're like we trust you because you can do your job so because of audition update not only did i work my biggest job but my clients are working their biggest job i have the danny in greece i have the kanicki in greece i have the seaweed and hairspray I, a, a, a sophie and mamma mia um a lot of people and all because of audition update well, it also just goes to show how interconnected this is. Oh. You know, a, a small job. Yeah. I mean, Bush Gardens is is a good theme it's park a starter. Right, job, right. Yeah. It's more of a start. But 
whether it's community, whether it's bush gardens, you do these small Christmas, you know, summer stock jobs, but that director or that assistant director, whoever it is behind the table, then is doing another project that's a little bit bigger. And then again, go back to that, that steps, you can maybe go up a couple of steps that you wouldn't have gone otherwise. Right. I end up meeting a lot of actors on those kinds of jobs too. I, I, work with um, one of my favorite clients is Kai White. Uh, she We met at Bush Gardens, and she is now in the pre-Broadway tryout of Grace that I helped facilitate. I work with kids from big programs who are like, I don't want to work at small places. My professors have uh, instilled in me that I should have a higher standard. And I'm like, well, then you're just not going to work sometimes. Or it's going to take a while. Yeah, it's going to take a lot longer, and you're going to have to work a lot harder. And you're going to have to stay here a lot more, which can be fine, but there's a lot of loss and a lot of lost life experience because of it. Mm -hmm. So I think they still want to put in the work. It's just a different kind of work. Well, I think one of the biggest lessons I think any actor can take away from their own experiences as well as listening to others is, is this idea of preparing yourself, of being determined, of just keep going, yeah. you know? And, and I think that... The more actors can hear that, the more they can see it, it reaping benefit. And again, as we've been saying, it is subjective. Like my persistence is going to look different from your persistence Absolutely. because it's going in different directions or for different purposes. But I think the more that we hear it, the more that we see it, the more we can figure out what it's going to mean for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's even that aspect of individuality is really empowering, you know, just embracing like I'm here for the ride. I'm going to do everything I can to be in control. I'm going to check my audition update so I can cope at the end of the day. But this is long determined before I could even begin to think about what this industry would look like. And when it comes to the changes, you, you've certainly had your own divergent. You've, you've had forks in the road and gone right one time. You went left another. You created another path. another. So you've had your own journeys throughout this and how did you know that that was the right step? Or did you not know and just said, well, I'm just going to keep going. And now I'm going to go in this direction and see what happens. I uh, I went through a very tragic loss my first year in the city. And that kind of reinstilled my idea of everything happening for a reason. So sometimes I just wait for the world to tell me what to do. And the hard, the challenge, again, not a man of faith, but I do think that there probably is some higher power that told me now it's your turn to decide and i think there were have been times in my life like really buying this agency that i had a few things i could have done and i had to confer with you know my husband and i had to confer with the people around me and what was logistically smart but at the end of the day i had to say um well you know eeny meeny miny mo let's let's give it a go um, and there was no clear answer. And uh, taking the full leap into agenting this way um, was one of them. And what helped is, and maybe it was my drive, but it immediately reaped beneficial results. Um, and I've had times where people really make me feel doubt my own professional ability, um, and my bosses included in that, multiple, many of them. But there's never been a time working in talent rep where I have thought I might not be capable of this or people weren't doing well because of my my willingness to help them. If people weren't doing well, I wouldn't do this. Not and what well is is subjective, but 
people's willingness to for me to to put trust in me and me taking that and getting them into rooms that they never would have gotten in on their own is the most fulfilling thing I've ever done with my life. And even on its best day, acting hasn't made me feel that fulfilled because there's just so much bullshit to kind of have to, so many hoops to jump through to get there. And it shouldn't be that way, but it is. And I I don't think we deserve it. I also don't think it benefits the industry, but yet it's it indicative of it. No, it's, yeah. I, again, I, I get some of it because it's like if you just, if it was easier, everyone would try to do it. Certainly, there needs to be some some gatekeeping. I'm I'm not saying that there shouldn't be, and there needs to be yeah. standards, and and it's important that we reach those. But at the same time, there 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 are hurdles that I think don't need to be there that are there. And I think with everything that's happened in the in the last couple of years, I think that some of those hurdles are starting to come down in in some areas. But I think the the general sense of if you're not this, then you can't be that. And I think that that's really, no matter what you're talking about, that can define people, as as we were talking about earlier, can put people in boxes and, well, you're not in this box, so bye-bye. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a problem. Again, a lot of my problem with it does not reside in the idea that people need to compartmentalize because it is human instinct. It is just the demonizing of people who try to test the boundaries and push the limits and change the way that we think. And we encourage it. We all, all of the whole industry right now is like, let's change the way we think. And I'm like, and not just me, but many of my peers, um, actors and and uh, business professionals are like, what if we told a story this way? And immediately the powers that be are so rooted in um, antiquated functionality and, and old money that it is just hard to change the thinking. And that comes in positions, that comes in storytelling, that comes in... Uh, white directors directing shows that they shouldn't be. It's going to take a long time for the industry to catch up. Now, I, what I will say is COVID is not good. COVID is terrible. COVID is the worst thing that we will probably live through, maybe. But it did expedite a lot of conversations in this industry. And I will, I will appreciate that this is, again, a cool time to be an actor. Cooler time to be an actor than probably any time in our lives. It's different. It's, theater is is omnipresent, um, and this is a different theater than I think anybody's really ever experienced. One of the the sad things, certainly, you know, COVID shut down theater for a while, and there was this whole phrase of you know essential workers and artists were not a part of that. And in some way, I took that personally because I thought of what I did that yes, there is an entertainment, there is an escapism to it. But it's still, I think, an essential part of a society, of, of an arts and a culture that can be represented on stage that you really can't get in any other medium or form. And so I, I, I always thought of it as being this essential part because as, as much as I have fun doing acting, I don't see it as frivolous. I see it as, as purposeful and meaningful. So I am curious, as theater is coming back, what stand it's going to take and how it's going to stand up for itself. I think it already has. I mean, box office gross rates, which is the only thing, again, because I'm a math person, it's the only thing we can kind of quantify its worth is through money. It's just the way society is structured right and now. certainly commercial theater, it has to be a consideration. Yeah. The box office grosses right now are the highest they've been ever in society, ever in the history of time. Granted, some of that is, 
you know, uh, inflation. But um, ultimately, it doesn't seem like – it seems like people were so willing and ready to be with other people. And theater, again, is that human experience personified. We want to feel like we're a part of something. And even in the audience, we are. And you don't get that from film. And you don't get that from TV the same way. I think that that is going to be omnipresent. I think what's different is the power structure. We built this house on unstable foundation. And now someone's talking about the foundation in a way that is really tangible um, and challenging people in a way that, again, it's going to ostracize. It's going to ruffle feathers. But I think people are willing to engage in that conversation more now. And even if it's because they're afraid of getting canceled, I think at the end of the day, if the conversation happens, it happens. I don't care if it's fear or tactics. Like it's something's got to shift. Well, this has been a joy to talk to you about a wide range of, of things. So for Hell's Kitchen Agency, how can people get a hold of you? And what is the best way to contact you as an agent? Yeah. So I get that question a lot. And what I think is really interesting about it is I get cold calls a lot from people who are like, hey, how do I submit for your agency? And I'm like, well, I don't know how you got our web, our uh, phone number, but it's only on our website, and, which says how to submit to us. So I don't I don't know what step you skipped here. It always makes me giggle. Um, but um, our info at healthskitchenagency.com, if you want to submit, if you want to ask questions about any of our artists, any of our actors, uh, you know, info at healthskitchenagency.com. That's info at H-E-L-L-S. K-I-T-C-H-E-N-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. I'm really glad I can spell. Could you have made it a little bit longer, please? It honestly doesn't feel that long, but I guess now. Well, once you spell it, right. Yeah, that's we we abbreviate to HKA for that reason. So blessed be the fruit for that one. Thank you so much for joining Brian and me today, but remember, the conversation continues not only with the bonus episodes, but also with the final five questions on the Win Me blog. You'll find a link to that in the show notes or by going to whyillnevermakeit.com. Why I'll Never Make It is a WinMe Media production and is part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Background music in this episode is by John Bartman and Blue Dot Sessions. I am your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Join me next time as we talk more about Why I'll Never Make It.